Welcome to the CEC report for the 29th of September 2017. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Elisa. And on today's show we have debt bomb about to blow, enact Glass-Steagall bank nationalisation now. And Corbyn kicks political revolution into high gear in UK, time for Australia to move. So firstly today, debt bomb about to blow, enact Glass-Steagall, bank nationalisation now. Now we're in the midst of a new global financial crisis, much worse than the last. And in the midst of that, there is a drive for, to, to change what has been an informal financial empire from uh, the City of London and Wall Street and change it into an explicitly dictatorial financial regime and you can look at past shows to see the discussion about in Australia about turning APRA, the Prudential Regulatory Agency, into a mechanism that during a financial crash would step in, can take over the boards of banks and run the whole show uh, without any accountability for that. Uh, in Europe you've had of course the drive for bail-in where during a crash they now have the power to confiscate people's deposits and underway under discussion in the European Union by the current president of the union, uh, Estonia, is also a discussion to be able to freeze bank accounts for between five and 20 days. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about. And right now we are facing uh, this showdown moment because we have bubbles galore, debt bubbles that have grown even bigger than 2007-08 and they're all about to explode. And I'll put up a few uh, graphics in the background while we're talking, which are from a webinar that was just held in the United States on the 26th of September. This was in Washington DC, organised by citizens and labour groups and held in the offices of the major American union, the AFL-CIO, and we'll show you a clip from it very shortly. But as you can see on the screen, um, they compare today's bubble to the 2000.com bubble, which was one bubble, the 2007 housing bubble, and as you can see today, they're referring to the everything bubble because it's not only the real estate bubble, but you've got uh, the stock market bubble, the auto bubble, the corporate credit bubble, you've got cryptocurrencies, you've got consumer debt, and it's all there on a hair trigger. Now, one possible hair trigger, Craig, is the Bank for International Settlements recently declared that all of the gambling done by banks called off-balance sheet derivatives should actually be counted as debt. And we talked about that on last week's show. If that's pursued and banks are made to account for that gambling, that could blow it. Another trigger could be what's being discussed in the US this week, which is that in October, the US Federal Reserve will begin winding back quantitative easing. Uh, the head of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, has said, we don't know how that's going to play out. It's never happened before. Uh, you also had Deutsche Bank that has warned that QE windback could trigger a new global crash. A Bank of England Policy Committee member has said there could be new and unanticipated shocks. And uh, Albert Edwards of Societe Generale, he has warned, you know, here you have the Bank of England and other central banks that have blown up these bubbles and they've got a schizophrenic policy because now they're warning of the consequences of what might happen when they blow. Um, and then if you add to that the US corporate bubble, which is really one of the gravest dangers right now, the IMF already said that a 20% default could come of corporate debt if there's an interest rate rise. Uh, and regarding the UK, which has explosive 
growth in uh, consumer debt bubbles. Larry Elliott in The Guardian has also said, Britain's debt time bomb is primed and ready to go off at any time. So this is a very serious situation. And you know, we're not suggesting quantitative easing should be continued you know, to no. stop it from blowing. So what really is the solution that we need, Craig? Well, Elisa, a lot of people's eyes might be glazing over, what do you mean by this? Because you know, I, I just have trouble paying the bills. You know, I'm just trying to make enough money to pay the bills and the mortgage is going up and I don't know how this all works. Well, the problem is that effectively since 2008, you've had a global financial crisis and that's, it hasn't been fixed. Instead, in the US, you've had uh, initially George Bush and Barack Obama bail out the banking system to the tune of trillions and trillions of dollars. And that money has simply been sucked into the banks where they've literally pumped up the existing stock market by lending that money at zero interest rates into corporations, into the banks, where those corporations have gone into buying back their own shares or giving that money, uh, lending that money out in terms of corporate bonds, creating all these extra uh, you know, uh, bubbles, mm. right? So what you, what's happened is you, you, end up, you end up with more and more of this speculation. They've also used it to buy these things called derivatives. Instead of using that money to uh, fund real infrastructure, manufacturing, create real jobs, increase the real physical economy where people are actually getting the benefit, that hasn't happened. So uh, we're at the point now where the system is one gigantic bubble, as you said, a conglomeration of this speculation. So when people are starting to see that they can't, make ends meet, this is the end result. So the solution is very simple. You have to recognise that this is a political problem. Governments have to step in and say, we have to separate out the existing banking system that we need for commercial needs, the necessary boring bank, as we call it, boring banking, which is your depositing systems, your, your loans and your mortgages and so forth, your retail banking or commercial banking, away from all the investment and speculative banking. Separate that up and have two separate banking systems. That's called Glass-Steagall. That's the name that we use today. That's the name that Franklin Roosevelt used for legislation back in 1933, where he did the same thing. So that's what we're proposing for the Australian banking system and it's also movements, of course, all around the world for the same idea. You have to have a sound, government-supported banking system, but it has to be highly regulated and it has to play by the rules. All the other aspects of the speculative banking system, merchant banking, investment banking, stockbroking houses, you know, all that sort of stuff, insurance companies, all that stuff that's become speculative has to be put to the side. And then you actually have to have a national bank mm. to govern and dictate to uh, to the rest of the banks how you run, run, uh, run the credit policy of the nation through your government. Mm. And this webinar was really historic for the United States with major unions and citizens groups campaigning for Glass-Steagall. So we're going to show a clip of two politicians, Democratic Congresswoman Marcy Kaptur and Republican Congressman Walter Jones from that webinar. Thank you so very much for all who have come to join this <coughs> webinar on restoring the Glass-Steagall Act or H.R. Uh, 790 in the House of Representatives, which is the Prudent Banking Act, restoring prudent banking for our country. I want to thank Public Citizen, the uh, Public Citizen, the AFL-CIO, uh, the Americans for Financial Reform, uh, and uh, the Our Revolution Northeast Ohio uh, for helping to arrange this wonderful briefing. Uh, it's nine years after the uh, largest financial crisis in modern history, and we still have work to do. 
and what we still need to do is to separate the risky speculative behavior that caused the meltdown in the first place, throwing millions of Americans uh, out of their homes and taking away large segments of their wealth, separating speculative banking from prudent banking. And that means if you think about it today, the average senior citizen or uh, person who has a certificate of deposit earns almost no interest. Uh, that's the bank paying you rent for your money. And when you get so little, believe me, they're taking your money and making loans and charging seven and eight and nine percent interest, and you don't benefit from that. What we want to do is we want to go back to prudent banking where consumers are respected, where customers are respected, and money not being siphoned off uh, and invested in high risky, high risky speculative investments in other countries many times. The big six on Wall Street who control two-thirds of the money flow in our country are the ones that are outsourcing our jobs. They're the ones that have this vast wealth that they can move around the world. But guess what? You're paying the price. And so your webinar is going to help people understand uh, how to use their own money more wisely. And we need your help in passing HR 790 in the U.S. House of Representatives. We now have about 60 co-sponsors we could use another 60, and we're uh, close to then third base and getting to home plate. Thank you so very much. Good luck in your webinar today. Thank you for being a part of this movement to get more and more people in Congress to understand that we need to reinstate Claire Stiegel. And the reason I feel so passionately about this is because I was here and voted years ago to repeal Glass-Steagall. And I saw the mistake that I made then and how that mistake has accumulated over the years and has really, in my opinion, financially speaking, uh, brought about a threat. And we need to do everything we can to strengthen the banks. And if we're going to do that, we need to reinstate Glass-Steagall. But we cannot do that without you. I've worked with different groups up here many, many days many, many years to try to get more and more members of Congress to join us in reinstating Glass-Steagall. I've worked with Marcy Capta, a Democrat, a very dear friend of mine. I'm a Republican, and yet I am sad to say that right now we need more Republicans to join in this effort to reinstate Glass-Steagall, but we can't do it without you. Please join us in this effort because it's our children's future. And if our banks aren't strong, then America's not strong. You can make the difference. Thank you. So we could use a few more politicians in Australia like that, Craig, yep. but we'll be back to talk about it right after this break. Welcome back to the CEC Report. We're now going to discuss Corbyn Kick's political revolution in UK into higher gear, time for Australia to move. And just on what we talked about in that last segment, because it was pretty fast paced, you can get more information in our Australian Alert Service. If you haven't done so before, call in, we'll send you a free copy. Otherwise, call us anyway to find out how you can get involved. Um, so Craig, as well as that you know, historic webinar and the progress to push for Glass-Steagall, 
over in the United States, there's been a major shift too in the United Kingdom, which is very exciting, where the UK Labor Party, they've just had their conference, annual conference in Brighton, and they've really taken the war on neoliberalism up several notches. And we want to show you some of some excerpts of the speeches at that event. This first one uh, is um, a fellow by the name of Dennis Skinner. He's on the National Executive of the Labor Party. And he's really taking on the axioms of neoliberalism, particularly in this case, the idea that um, government should run like a business. But here he's taking on the fact that at least businesses borrow to expand. The party is alive and well and kicking. And that's why today we have to get rid of those zero-hour contracts. And that's what we have to promise. And if anybody says to you, where's the money coming from, I'll tell you. They used to ask Nye Bevan that when he was building a National Health Service and building all those council houses and getting rid of the vandalism that had been caused prior to the Second World War. The country was skint. And yet somehow or other, Nye Bevan had an answer. He says, we're going to borrow it. And that's what you do. And make a comparison with the private sector. When the private sector expands, where do you think they get the money from? They borrow it. They borrow it. And they don't take it out of their own safe. When Tesco's expand, do you think for a minute they go to a Tesco safe and get the money out? Of course they don't. They go in somebody else's safe. They borrow the money. That's what we should do. That's the answer to all those people that stick a camera in your face every day of the week as you enter this building. Tell them we'll do what the private sector do. We'll borrow the money. And so when we get them rid of zero-hour contracts and when we renationalise Royal Mail. Oh, it really gets to me when they talk about the Queen's head being privatised. <laughs> That's where the money comes from. That's what we did in 1945. We built a National Health Service and we introduced industrial injury benefit for all those workers. We brought in free education from the cradle to the grave. That's why we're going to get rid of tuition fees. Vote Labour. I can't wait for it. All power to your elbow. Now, Alicia, this is a classic problem most people have in thinking that governments are businesses. They are not. And what Dennis Skinner represents is the old idea of old labour, where mm. old labour is committed to what's known as the common good or the general welfare. Governments are not businesses. They are committed to the general welfare, or should be, of all the people, from the most downtrodden and to the poor to the wealthy classes. And that, that means that you don't have an elite that benefit from the actions of government. 
everyone has to benefit or the country as a whole has to benefit. It's a fundamental different idea. Mm. And that was the theme taken up in this next speech, which is the Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell, and he makes a no-holds-barred declaration of Labor's intent to re-nationalise everything. For and on behalf of all the people. Yep. You know, building an economy for the many also means bringing ownership and control of the utilities and key services into the hands of the people who use them and work in them. So yes, I want people to have no doubt. Rail, water, energy, Royal Mail, we're taking them back. It's very interesting, Lisa, that we just heard that President Trump has come out denouncing private-public partnerships, PPPs, which has been all a rage here in Australia. Now, we believe large infrastructure projects have to be actually built by governments. And we're going to start to see exactly what uh, um, John McDonnell's calling for having to happen here in mm. Australia in infrastructure. Yep. And now this final clip, this is Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the party, talking about how they have shifted politics in the UK, but there's more to come. Conference, it's often said that elections can only be won from the centre ground. And in a way, that's not wrong, so long as it's clear that the political centre of gravity isn't fixed or unmovable. <laughs> Nor is it where the establishment pundits like to think it is, because they know everything, as you know. It shifts as people's expectations and experiences changed, and political space is opened up. Today's centre ground is certainly not where it was 20 or 30 years ago. A new consensus is emerging from the great economic crash and the years of austerity to when people started to find a political voice for their hopes for something different and something better. <laughs> 2017 may be the year when politics finally caught up with the crash of 2008. <laughs> because we offered people a clear choice. We need to build a still broader consensus around the priorities we set in the election campaign, making the case for both compassion and collective aspiration. That's the real centre of gravity in politics. We are now the political mainstream. Yes. Our manifesto and our policies are popular because that is what most people in the country actually want, not what they're being told they should want. Welcome back to the CEC Report where we're discussing the political revolution underway in the UK. We need to create it here too, uh, Craig. Mm. And for our viewers, if you haven't contacted the CEC, ring us up, 
We'll send you some literature. Get involved. It's time to get this revolution really kicking here. Um, you know, it was interesting, Corbyn there ended by saying that their policies are popular because that's what the people want. It's not what they're told they should want. Um, and this coheres with this statement he made that 2017 may be the year when politics finally caught up with the crash of 2008. Because what's the point here? The people are hurting. They have been hit by reality. And when a movement such as the Corbyn team comes in and speaks the truth, that resonates with the people. They can see that. So what you have here is that they are speaking out against neoliberalism. They're stomping all over it. They've got the policies in place. Well, they're all there in their manifesto to reverse deregulation, privatisation, austerity. They're pursuing a better way to fund this, Craig, in terms of discussing a national investment bank. And we have that same uh, perspective here for Australia. Well, Lisa, in the last 40 years, you've seen this ideology of neoliberalism come in where, you know, go big government is bad, small government, privatise everything, let the private sector run everything. You know, this is economic rationalism. We've seen it here in Victoria. Privatise the power stations, sell them off. You know, look at the gas supplies in Australia. We're allowing, you know, large corporations to export our gas. So even though we have a huge volumes of it, we don't have enough, enough for the domestic industry. The bottom line is that these policies don't work and once the mass of the population, the many, start to wake up and realise that these policies don't work, well, the, the few, the politicians, the ruling classes, start to quake in their boots because they know that they can be blown away just like a feather in a strong wind. And that's what you see in the UK with the, the rise of Corbyn. That's coming here in very quick succession. Malcolm Turnbull gets the smell of that. That's why he's talking about... You know, strong action with the gas companies. Let's see what he's got to do because he's got to trample on all the policies that the Liberal Party represented for the mm. last 40 years. Mm -hmm. But see, it's a very interesting dynamic. When people start to see that their ruling classes no longer represent them, that you're dealing with yeah. a fundamental mass strike phenomenon. And that's what we've represented for mm. the last 30 years in this country. And we represent the idea that governments have to represent the people. We need to nationalise our resources. We need to nationalise the gas, the oil, the fundamental necessities of what we need in our country. If you have cheap power, then you can bring back necessary infrastructure and industries like the aluminium industry, which was built on the back of the need to have high-tech industries. We need to have manufacturing, not shut down car industries, redevelop those industries so they're competitive for internal use and so use them for building high-speed uh, magnetic levitation train carriages. You know, we don't have any high-speed train capacity in this country. We should be developing that. There's an enormous number of ideas that we can actually have, but we have to become much smarter in terms of the future, developing the future. And that's the only way we can do that is have financial policies that are prepared to invest in the future, not the short-term gain of private boardrooms that want to return within 12 months to their shareholders. It's a fundamental philosophical difference. It's a commitment to the general welfare and to the common good and the development of the nation, which is what Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell represent in the UK. That's what the people can see. Mm. That's what they can see in Trump too when he talks about his infrastructure policies. And that's what's scaring the hell out of these neoliberalism mm. uh, representatives. Of the, that they represent a doomed policy of the last 40 years. Mm. It's what we represent. So people should get copies of the alert service, mm. find out more about this and realise that we're in a, mass, a period of mass change. Yeah and uh, you know, get on board with us and organise. Mm, Jeremy Corbyn has made it explicit by using this slogan from Percy Bysshe Shelley 
uh, the English poet for the many, not the few, because Shelley talked about the fact that in a time of crisis, people suddenly become capable of understanding intense and impassioned conceptions respecting man and nature. So don't despair that people are all obsessed about the footy. They can change and there's even politicians that are beginning to wake up. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, thanks, and join Alyssa. us again next week. Thank you.